Morale is low for many professors and college leaders these days. And that's turning out to be one of the biggest issues in higher ed this year. Just look at the most read articles list here at EdSurge over the past few months. And you'll notice the top headlines involve demoralization and burnout. And social media chatter about these articles and of stories like them in other publications, it shows an increasing sense of being fed up by working conditions on the nation's campuses nearly two years into the COVID-19 pandemic. While the pandemic is definitely part of the story, many say there are underlying issues here that predate the global health crisis. Colleges were already relying more and more on lower-paid adjuncts with precarious employment situations. Fewer and fewer professors get jobs with the security of tenure. And that romanticized notion of getting into deep discussions with students about big ideas, that doesn't actually always happen. Normal prior to this probably wasn't working that well for very many people. Um, The pandemic made it worse. That's Kevin McClure, an associate professor of higher ed at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. McClure is a columnist for EdSurge, and he's written some of those stories that have gone viral about low morale on colleges. But despite the many frustrated voices that he's hearing, McClure believes there's a way to learn from this moment. The question for him, can deep-seated problems of campus life be solved to get higher ed out of this funk? Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I am the managing editor here at EdSurge. We're a national nonprofit newsroom. Kevin McClure is our guest today. And as I've been reading his articles and seen him engage on Twitter, I've been curious to chat with him about this hot issue. And I've learned that his popular articles, they've sparked him to dig even deeper into issues of fed-upness in academe. I started our conversation by asking McClure to remind us what demoralization means and why it's different than just feeling burned out. Yeah, so this is a relatively new term for me as well. And so I've relied on the writing of several other folks that have been talking about demoralization, especially in K-12 education. And the way that they have described it is demoralization uh, happens when you feel as if the values that brought you to the profession um, are harder to enact. And so the original kind of purpose, the, the driving purpose behind wanting to step into education, for example, um, it feels as if it's, it's harder to achieve that. And part of that is because there's kind of a values conflict between you and your employer, for example. Um, and so I tend to think of, of demoralization or, or kind of low morale as being something that's group based or collective, um, kind of that, idea of a spirit decor where um, a group of people have reached a point where they feel not just depleted or tired, uh, but really fed up, exasperated, and in some cases willing to act on that type of feeling in a different way. And so I think that there is a, a pretty clear tie between, for example, demoralization and the great resignation conversation that we see happening in many industries and including education. And the demoralization has led to people being willing to act on their feelings of frustration 
And that action is to step away from this career entirely or to shift into a new organization or, or a different job. Now, your latest column in EdSurge, you know, you talked about this and you, you mentioned that some college leaders have actually been a bit tone deaf in their, in their efforts to, to address this issue. And it's included some kind of small tokens of appreciation that um, may not have their intended consequence. Um, what, can you give some examples? Because it seems like there was some Twitter conversation that, that emerged where a lot of examples, uh, you unearthed a lot of interesting examples. Yeah, so all of this kind of started for me um, with some of the emails that I was even getting from my own institution that were, you know, along the lines of thank you for what you have done. And my sense in reading those emails is that they were coming from a, a place of genuine appreciation from many college leaders. I mean, I, I, I speak with these folks on a regular basis. I know that they wanted to express gratitude and, and to say that we recognize you for what you're doing. Um, but what has ended up happening is all too often they come up with these kind of small tokens of appreciation to say thank you. And I'm not opposed to small tokens of appreciation, but they don't match the moment. And as a consequence, I think for many people come across as insulting. So my very favorite example that somebody shared with me was at their institution, um, was giving them as a, a token of appreciation, um, umbrellas that were branded, you know, institutional umbrellas, but only while supplies last. And so apparently not everybody was was appreciated. You had to both be appreciated and you had to be quick enough to get the umbrella. Um, you know, other examples I heard were things like tickets to a football game. And some people were, were feeling that that was uh, particularly tone deaf because many of them were attempting to avoid large crowds. And so it seemed um, kind of odd as a sign of appreciation to say, hey, why don't you go to this large event with other people where there's some risk that you might, you know, contract COVID-19 in the process. Um, and so, you know, I'm never going to say, you know, no to a free t-shirt or a free cup of coffee or donuts or whatever it may be. But again, I think if it's just that, if that's the sole thing on which a leader is leaning as a way of signaling, hey, we recognize and see what you have done for a lot of people, that's going to feel so underwhelming to not really achieve what, what ultimately was the goal, which was to say, hey, you know, we know that this has been hard. We know you've been showing up every day. We know you've been doing, you know, putting in more hours than you typically would um, and doing so under, you know, extremely difficult circumstances at home in many cases. And uh, so, yeah, that that was that was really kind of what what drove me to write the piece in the first place was kind of thinking through this mismatch between the the moment that we have been living through for really at this point almost two years and the types of solutions or ideas that that leaders were coming up with yeah i i realize that it might be worth highlighting what some what makes the demoralization that you described so you know pointed in higher education um what what is it do you think that that is causing that Sure. Yeah. So um, this is a question that I actually, actually put to the individuals that I interviewed as part of the piece because um, there isn't a ton of research that I was able to find on um, what's kind of driving demoralization specifically in higher education. But the things that came up over and over again, both in the interviews I did and then subsequently in, in a number of conversations that I've had on this topic, 
One is we've had a compensation problem in higher education for a long time. Um, many jobs within higher education have not seen significant salary increases in a, in a long time. Um, there are places that have salary, salary compression issues, which is what happens when you're hiring new people in at a higher salary than people who have been there for a long period of time. Um, another big problem that, that people mentioned is this feeling as if leaders were just not doing a particularly good job of listening and not showing a willingness to listen and to learn. And, you know, I heard stories of town hall meetings where leaders were disabling the chat feature because they didn't want to see or to hear some of the things that were being mentioned in the chat. Um, instances in which um, people felt that leaders were uh, really not even hosting any type of forum or, or you know, open opportunity for people to, to come and to speak their mind. Um, and part of this manifested in this idea that many leaders were just pushing ahead with a normal fall, um, irrespective of what was required to do so and irrespective of what was happening around us that suggested this wasn't going to be a normal fall. Um, and, and that struck people as being kind of a prime example of not, not really listening to what people were, were trying to tell them. Um, another big issue that has popped up now, again, kind of connected to this idea of the great resignation is understaffing or offices that are just too lean in their staffing. Um, what's happened is you've got some institutions that through budget cuts and austerity have just not never hired enough people to do the work well, even if it's the case that, for example, enrollment is growing or expectations are increasing. So you've got people taking on kind of more and more work. At the same time, you got folks that are leaving and taking new jobs or leaving the field altogether. And again, that work doesn't just dissolve when they leave. More often than not, it just gets put on somebody else's plate. And so um, just this kind of feeling of excessive job demands, um, low compensation, leaders that were not listening and therefore people who were not feeling seen, um, really introduced this idea of there being a values uh tension or conflict. And um, I think the most disheartening thing for me as someone who's kind of invested my whole career in higher education is how frequently within the last six months I've been in conversation with people and they've said, I just don't know if this place where I'm working really cares about me. Um, if I were to leave, if I were to step away from this job, would anybody stop and ask me why? Um, or would they just say, have a nice day and then post the job the next day? Um, and, um, and so I think that is a good kind of indication of folks who feel as if, you know, I came to this profession myself with a commitment to care for people. And yet my, the, the place where I'm working isn't extending that type of care to me. So what does that say about the way in which they value or appreciate me? Yeah, I, 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 that's really, it's really well put. You know, one of the things that has struck me is that that perspective of like, you know, from the inside of the, the staff instructor, you know, all the different roles that, that we're talking about at, in colleges is really, is really important. And I know that, as you mentioned, in K-12, we're seeing this, a very similar effect of teachers not feeling, you know, appreciated and feeling like there's a disconnect. 
um, between their why they got into the field and what's happening in the in the way they're being kind of valued or not valued. But there's also the the experience of the student, right? Of the which is, is it, you know, obviously it's part of what you're talking about. But but thinking from the customer point of view for a minute or the student perspective, um, I've been thinking about that as I you know just kind of watch this bigger picture. As you mentioned, there was a there was a great Planet Money episode um, recently where they talked about skimpflation, which is a word I hadn't heard before. But you know, obviously we're we're seeing a time of of you know some inflation, but the the point that we're also seeing, you know, kind of a labor shortage and staffing issues. And they, they gave this example of like how in a lot of restaurants, the service is just a lot worse because they can't get enough servers. And so they just have, you know, pretend everything's the same, but then it's not, you're not nearly getting someone to come over and, you know, get you a drink or food as, as much as in the past as quickly. And so, you know, that's a kind of, possibly trivial example, but this is happening in industry after industry where the same price or maybe even a higher price, but you're getting a, a, a less, a degraded service from the, the user's perspective or the student's perspective in this case, you know, is, is that something that, that you think about as well of like, how do you, what is this, how does this then, you know, pass on to students when not only is the morale bad, but there's just not as much staff as, as there used to be. Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this myself a, a good deal. And basically where I come down on this is institutions not caring for their people and not investing in their people is bad for everybody. It is bad across the board. Um, it's, of course, bad for, you know, faculty and staff who who are feeling what they're feeling at the moment and and are not, you know, being compensated in the ways that they should. But what often gets overlooked is uh students experience in the classroom outside of the classroom basically college itself is a function of the working conditions of faculty and staff we do a disservice i think if we focus so exclusively on student experience and student success that we lose sight of the fact that in order to get to that, in order to get to that positive experience and success, we need to have good people working at colleges and universities. Um, and so, yeah, 100%, I think um, parents and students that anybody that's invested in higher education ought to be thinking about how we can be doing a better job of improving the academic workplace. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I fear it is the case that f- folks are going to be feeling as if they are working very hard to get to college, making a lot of sacrifice, paying a lot of money, and then what they get on the other end are are the folks that have made it somehow <laughs> through this experience. Not necessarily the best people, not necessarily the people that that we would want, but the people who have just managed to, to hold on for long enough um, that that they're still there. This, by the way, goes all the way up to the top. Um, what I mean by that is not the, not that necessarily the fact that the responsibility for fixing morale issues sits at the very top of the organization. What I mean is that if we're going to build caring universities, we have to care about the morale of everybody. We have to care about the morale of leaders as well, because as I said a, a moment ago, it is bad across the board. It is bad for the organization if you are not caring about the well-being of folks, irrespective of the position that they occupy within the the organization. And so, um, I tend to think, and and this is a bit of a 
um, kind of foreshadowing my next piece, but I think we need to do a better job even of paying attention to the working conditions and the workload of folks that are in those leadership positions because they can set the tone for the rest of the institution in terms of what's expected and what kind of culture we want to build. Um, but we also eventually want caring, competent, compassionate people to step into those roles. And a lot of people right now are looking up at leadership roles and saying, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want to be working 70 hours a week um, and, you know, not sleeping and enduring constant stress. Um, and, and so, again, you're only going to get the folks stepping into those roles that have managed to that are in a life place or have the family structure that allows them to take that on. And that's not necessarily the best people for for the roles. So, yeah, I think that. Many of these things that we're talking about have downstream implications for students, their experience, and their learning. Um, and we don't do a good enough job thinking about kind of the cause and effect there. Yeah. Well, on a, you know, practical matter for leaders who may, you know, be nodding their heads and, and totally agreeing with you and in a position to do something about it, how can education leaders start to improve morale considering all these factors? Yeah. So um, the biggest thing that I have been preaching, and and I'm comfortable saying that I have been preaching this, um, I've been jumping on my soap soapbox at every opportunity that I have, is I think that there is extreme value in leaders creating systems, putting systems in place to be listening and to be learning. Um, what has been most shocking to me at this point, as, as we do come upon kind of the two-year anniversary of um, kind of the pandemic university is that you that institutions and leaders are not trying not putting in place ways to look back on what we've experienced and to learn from it um, i think that they would be surprised to see how morale can improve if people simply feel as if they are being heard and if they have been given an opportunity to say this is what the job was like for me these last two years. Um, this is what I'd like to see moving forward. And this is how I'm thinking about my career. Um, ideally, you know, leaders would do something with that. They wouldn't just listen to it. They, they would kind of take what they've heard and, and act on it. But the listening itself is important. Um, one of the leaders I interviewed as part of this piece talked about um, how important it's been for her to do constant social listening. So not just with people one-on-one, -on -one, but through social media as well to really be getting a sense of where people are at and how they are feeling. And, you know, she said she's not above basically saying, hey, somebody's posting on social media about parking problems over here. What are we doing to fix that? Um, and, and I think, again, that, that can go a long way. Um, obviously compensation is an issue, but compensation is, is expensive and it's not something that all leaders have any direct control over. What, I, what I will say is that even if compensation is not something that can be improved upon immediately, I think that it can go a long way if leaders simply make clear that this is an institutional priority. So, um, I have disagreed with my own campus's leadership from time to time. Um, but I will tell you at every single meeting I'm in with our chancellor, he talks about working to get pay raises. Um, it is clear that it is at the forefront of his mind. Um, even, even at times when I say you should be talking about something else right now, but you know, to his credit, you know, he makes it clear to us that he knows that this is a problem and that he's working on it. That level of commitment and that communication around that commitment matters. 
Um, where I would go one step further with that is to even go so far as to say, we're going to make a plan. Here's our plan. It's going to take us a couple of years to get there, but we are working on this issue. Similarly, um, I think leaders could uh, put in place plans for analyzing workload. Um, I don't know it's the case that many institutions have a great sense of where, it, where it's the case that systems and people might be the most taxed. Um, and so figuring out ways of kind of doing across the board workload analysis so that, you know, these are where my, where we've got people in the organization that are hurting the most and need the most support. And maybe we could get resources directed over there sooner than later. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't necessarily want people to walk away saying to themselves, well, I gave out t-shirts. I've done everything wrong. Um, Instead, what I would say is, okay, you've given out t-shirts, you've said thank you, what else are you doing that is at the level of kind of systems and structures to listen, learn, and act? Um, you know, people may enjoy that that ice cream cone, that free ice cream cone, but the, the root causes of uh, low morale go deeper than that. And so if you want to address those, then your solutions are going to have to go deeper as well. Did you, uh, did you get a t-shirt or ice cream at your own institution? Um, we, we have gotten a number of shirts, but I will say to, to the credit of, of the institution, they are quite popular. And so, um, you know, even if it's the case that again, I, I don't know that they were distributed in a way to necessarily like fix morale issues across the board. Um, what'd they say? Um, they, they say our college's name on them and they've got like a certain design and, um, they're long sleeve t-shirts, which apparently, you know, are, can, can be hard to come by. And so, so yeah, they're popular. People like to wear them. And, um, and yeah, I, I personally have no problem with that. Um, and like I said, I don't know that in our case that they were intended to kind of fix morale issues per se, but if it's the case that you're at an institution like mine where raises have been virtually non-existent for the better part of seven or eight years and what you are receiving after the last two years we've experienced, is primarily in the form of a thank you email and a t-shirt, you know, it's just not enough. It doesn't, that doesn't go far enough to, to kind of get at the root cause of, um, what people are experiencing. Sure. Now your piece really touched a nerve and went viral. We saw a lot of uptake and discussion around it. And I guess I'm curious whether you are surprised by that at all or what, you know, what kind of reaction you're hearing to it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I when I first pitched the the idea that I was working on, it, of course at that time it was still fairly um half-baked. Um it was all of the pieces that I write start with a feeling more than an idea. And my feeling at the time that I was writing it was was from a, a place of frustration. Um I had written previously on burnout and so I knew that there was enough disgruntled people out there that if you kind of feed that um frustration a little bit, it, it will pick up. Um, but I will say that I, what, what I think has been energizing for me is the number of people that have reached out that are not picking up the piece purely from a kind of a hot take kind of just going to reshare this and yell into the void kind of way, but are engaging with it in a really substantive way and saying, you know, Here's what this is looking like at my institution. Here's what we're trying. Um, I want to try out this idea that you mentioned and I'll report back and let you know. Um, and so, 
you know, as an academic, the truth is that so often we write and you're not really sure if anybody is picking up the, the ideas or engaging with them. And by contrast, this has been an opportunity for, for me to learn and to meet people from so many different corners of higher education. And it has, I mean, just broadened my own horizons in so many different ways. Um, and, and has really sparked kind of a new line of inquiry for me. Um, to be honest with you that I'm kind of continuing to, to explore. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and, and I end the piece with some, some measure of hope, um, where I think that we can build a better academic workplace. I really do. Um, but I think in order for us to do so, and, and I'm borrowing from kind of two management writers, um, that wrote a book recently called Unmanageable, we've got to stand in what we have just experienced and and figure out what that has meant for people if we're going to move forward in in a positive way and so so that's what i'm doing that's what i'm trying to do at least i'm trying to stand in it <laughs> stand in it and knee deep whatever it is that's really interesting yeah i i look forward to seeing um where this line of inquiry takes you thank you so much for sharing today yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure, and uh, yeah, I, you will be the first to know um, when when my next piece is is um, you know right now it's in draft form, but we're, we're I'm working on it. This has been the Ed Surge podcast. That new column that Kevin mentioned at the end of this episode, uh, it's actually already up on our site, so you can see that um, if you go to edsurge.com. It is probably one of the most popular articles at the moment, actually. And I'm happy to announce that Kevin McClure is going to be part of a live podcast taping about demoralization in education that we're going to be doing at the South by Southwest EDU conference on March 7th through 10th, 2022. So if you're going to go to that event, um, definitely check us out. We'll have more details as it gets closer. Every week, we explore the future of learning with episodes like this one. If you like the show, please take a minute to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. As a reminder, if you have not already, you can sign up for the Ed Surge podcast newsletter to get reminders about every episode's release and get links to resources related to the topics that we're covering. Just go to the edsurge.com site and click on the word newsletter at the top right. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. You can find me on Twitter at jryoung or shoot me an email, jeff at edsurge.com. Music this episode was by Steve Combs. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.